Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday. It's been a while. Uh, of course, we had Shavuos. And uh, that was two days ago, I guess. Yesterday, I swam today. Also, a lot of things are happening. Before I say anything else, let me thank this. Uh, I'm going to do the Parsha today, uh, which is being sponsored by my good friend, the Leventhals, as I mentioned last week. Dr. Mr. Leventhal out in Pennsylvania uh, on their special farm. And this is being, once again, in memory of his brother, David Leventhal, David Mendel, and Herschel Levy, and for his brother-in-law, Simcha ben Moshe Sheldon Skuro. So I hope the Nishamas will have an aliyah. Uh, so thanks for that. As I said, it's been a wild and crazy time. First of all, I got all these lectures to do. Tom Swamp was writing them up. I gave one last night. There are five more to go. On the Galicia series, which is what I'm working out right now. <clears throat> That's number one. Number two, in Baltimore, Today was a sad day. I had two funerals to go to. One, Jonathan Goodman's mom, and the other one, uh, my good friend, old friend, my parents didn't know it. There's been full of that. And on the other side of the ledger, we just had a baby, a granddaughter, Yehuda Laban Yehudas. So you can imagine, it's not I'm putting things off, but there's a lot of stuff on the plate. Now, let's take a look at the Parsha, which is no soap. And I'll jump right into it. As it was, I had the ladies' class this morning, which always gives me a chance to think out loud about <clears throat> what's going on in the Parsha. And I'll jump right into it. Why do you have the, the story of the Sota <clears throat> and the Nozer here of all places? After all, the Sota is a business with adultery or family matters. Shouldn't they rather go, I don't know, in Achrimos or one of those places where they talk about forbidden relationships? You know, why Dafka over here? And then the Nozer... I know they have these drushes, you know, Harola Sota, Bakukola, Yazir, But that's a post facto, you understand? Once you saw them together, <coughs> why are they over here? <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, I'll tell you right about it. As I mentioned last week, this year, I noticed <coughs> the fact that, uh, first of all, let's get the timeline straight. Okay? Maybe I talked last time, maybe I didn't remember. We're dealing with. <coughs> The year after the Jews leave Egypt. Because, listen, we had Shavuos the other day. So they leave on Pesach. Then comes Shavuos. When they get to pronouncing the Ten Commandments. And then uh, comes 40-40-40. And then you get the Second Commandments. You know, meaning the ones that count. On, on um, Yom Kippur. So the Luch Shnias we got about six months after we left Egypt. And then... From then on until Rosh Chodesh Nisan, they build a Mishkan and all that stuff. And Rosh Chodesh Nisan, as everybody knows, they set up the Mishkan, <coughs> they erect it, and then comes the inaugural ceremonies, Ha'ibayim Hashemini. <coughs> so in other words, the, story, the book of Vayikra primarily takes place, uh, how should I put it, a year or so after they left Egypt. You know, it's not exactly clear when was it the law of, uh, you know, uh, 
Nido and Zivo and Tumas this and Tumas that, carbon this and carbon that, all within the year or so, a little bit after a year after they left Egypt. And how does it go? You got Bamimber, Nosa, Balos, Shlach, Korach. Those parshas carry the story forward as best as we can see into that time frame of the second year. Notice after the after the, the anniversary, after the second Pesach, get it? When um, <clears throat> it's only a year after he left Egypt. So all these things about Mimbar Nosabalosah, Korach take place in the next several months. And you have a terminus akpem because we all know that the Meraglim, the screw up of the Meraglim is on Tishabov. So that's the Tishabov of the second year. Approximately, you know, a year and a half, a little bit less, after he left Egypt. Okay, so today's parsha by Midbar Nosa and all that is taking place within that context. Now, the interesting part, as I tried to mention last week, was that what's happening is that they call for a draft, a mobilization. What is the whole story of counting the Jews? Call up all that Sava. Let's vote Sava. You're drafting people for an army. They expected, they didn't know it was going to be a Maraglim. They expected that at a certain point they're going to be told to march and then they will march as an army from Harsinai to Canaan and take it over and fight a war. I did all this last week. <clears throat> fight a war. I know it didn't turn out that way, but that you don't find out until you get to, you know, Parshish uh, Shlach. So, uh, okay, it's a very packed second year. Year and a half tell you the truth. Because after a year and a half or so, or so, you don't never know exactly when the Korach fits in. Let's say after a year and a half, then it jumps 38 years. You skip, and you're in Chukas, you're already in the 40th year. <clears throat> so, you know, we, we skip all that. That's the, the chronological weirdness of the Chumash and the Book of Bamidbar. But let that be. So, you're mobilizing a draft. They take the numbers of each tribe. It's followed up very interestingly <clears throat> In this week's Parsha, by then taking a census of the Levim, the Levites, which kind of implies <clears throat> that in their way, they're kind of an army too. Not an army of battlefield, but an army in the sense of running the Mishkan. And remember, in those days, they would take the Ark out into battle. That you see from the Tanakh. There's a whole discussion in Chazal, whether there were two Arks or not. You know, there was a, a, a an Aron for the Melchama. That's a machlokus in the Sifri, by the way, in the Chazal. So let's say there was one ark. So they took they took the other in the battle. So there's a certain military side of the Levium as well. And the fact that they're put under a discipline, as in this week's parasha, the Sunim, the Sunim, Hamalo, you know, they're subject to the Kohanim. They have their assigned post. There's a military order to the whole thing. <clears throat> right? Military order to the whole thing. And, you know, it only applies to certain ages, from 30 to 50 and so forth. So, um, with all that, all of a sudden you get this business of the Sota. Like, what the heck is going on over here? <clears throat> so what it seems to me, best as I can tell, which as I say over and over again is the best I can do, is there must be some sense to the juxtaposition of all the military drafting on the one hand, the partial did of the adulterous wife on the other. Or, better yet, the wife who acts in a 
in a suspicious fashion. The best I can come up with is that this is part of war. Men go off to battle, and what happens to the women? They stay behind. Then what happens? Who knows what happens? What kind of hanky-panky is going on? It's a part of life. It's a real bummer. This is what happened with Dabba Nebuchadnezzar, as we know notoriously. It's a Chazal even says that. You understand? And so, you're going off to war. We're most behind Bilvium. Basically, <clears throat> once we march and we get into battle, you're not going to see the men too much. The women are all going to be by themselves. Well, well, well. Uh, matter of fact, let me put it this way. You know who's going to be behind? The Levium. The Kohanim. Uh, that leads itself to all kinds of situations. You don't want the soldiers saying, what's happening behind my back? And therefore the Torah goes on to say, yes, there's a mobilization, there's going to be an army, we're going to bring the ark and all the rest of it. And by the way, God will punish you and your stomach will blow up, you have an explosion. No, it's the most terrible consequences will happen as a result of anyone that cheats. Which means, that Torah is being very real, because wartime, <clears throat> let's put it this way, nothing degrades, this is what history teaches us, it's not my word. Nothing degrades public morality as the military in wartime. Is this what happens? Because the soldiers are what they are, the women are what they are, everybody's in Hefkeris. People think, of course, life is short. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. And people, you know, are humans. And the Torah is very real. You get what I'm saying? The Torah is very real. It's fascinating to me then in that context. It also warns about the nausea. Because the plain push-up shot of the nausea is <clears throat> booze, alcohol. That's the AAA of yesteryear. If a person, of course, in those days, the only alcohol was wine. Yain v'sheichor, to be exact. So the ikra of the nausea is mamash, you have to stay away from the yain v'sheichor, as we all know. Of course, there are other regulations as well. <clears throat> but the ikra is to stay away from the yain v'sheichor. Why? <clears throat> Drunkenness is the road to sin. Matter of fact, I teach in university. Maybe some of you do. Everybody knows. Parties nowadays is all about getting drunk and then whatever. And then comes whatever. The drinking is the derech to this. And that's why Chazal say very famously, What do those words mean? <coughs> that means you see you see what they can lead to. You say, I'm staying with. What has one got to do with the other? The yayin, the drinking, you know, Yisamach Levenish, and next thing you know, it's here, there, and elsewhere. <clears throat> and there are many Chazals, especially if you go to Medishab, I happen to remember this with the Nun of Anabiyu. Back in Parshishmi, there's a whole Chazal about people, the, the, the dangers of drunkenness. And they quote Sukim from Yoshua, I mean, from uh, Mishlei, Kohelis, Altera, Yain, Kis, Adam, all that stuff. So the Torah very real. You're going off to war. And remember, they did not know what you know, which is they never would go to war. They would instead wander in the desert for 40 years. Never would be a military battle because of the sin of Maraglam. And so the mobilized husbands never actually left the family. No, when push came to shove, they, they were home. When you go to war, they're not home. When we're not home, it's bad news. Right? That's not home, it's bad news. I'll say it again. Everybody knows that in modern American culture, and I'm sure around the world, people go to get drunk in order to make themselves hefker. You understand? 
A lot of people that get, you know, I mean, like I said before, I teach in college. This is, a, this is just a push it. You see? Now, people get drunk in order that the drunkenness is not the final goal. But it allows you to do things and act in certain ways that you wouldn't act if you had your regular inhibitions. We're against that. <laughs> totally don't believe in that. Right? And therefore, it says <clears throat> there's a war, and you're about to go into battle. Let's warn you about number one, the Sota. The consequences are very grave. And by the way, the language is very Meduic, according as I see it. Because what is the language that's used when it comes to the Sota? You think about the, the wife whose husband is off in the war, was planning to be off in the war. And it says, um, She betrays him. Malamal is, is the word for treachery. It's, it's an interesting expression. Why did it simply say like this? And she did Navera. <clears throat> we already have in Vayikro. You know, that anyone who's Mizano, Asian Sish Mizano, it's Chai Misa. To Ishishki sister Ishto. That's it. You understand? What's from Shat Mola Bomal? From which, by the way, those the halachically inclined will remember the famous Maharik that says that if you have a Queen Esther situation, <coughs> um, she's going to be also the Mordechai. Because even though she's doing what she was told in a mitzvah dika oven, but still she was committing a mala bomal. An act of betrayal against her spouse happened. I'm referring to the famous case, if I remember correctly, in the Marek, you know, he was in the 15th century in, in Renaissance Italy, and there was a whole group of people, and they were jumped by these bandits, and the long and the short of it is, <clears throat> the bandits were going to kill all the Jews over there, and one guy's wife said, if she comes on to head guy to Robin Hood, and she gives in to him. You know, he'll let the others go. But kachava, you know, saying she came on to the guy. They did what they did, and as a result, everybody was saved. Her husband, her children, whatever. I don't remember the story exactly. And therefore, you can't say she didn't sin. You know, she was not a, a, a sota in the sense that she was a wanton woman with loose, loose morals. She was a firm lady who, believe me, you know, as they say. Uh, uh, like, yeah, she didn't want to do it, but she did it to save the husband and the others. And then, when it's all over and they were saved, they came to the Jewish community in safety. The question was, does she have to get divorced from her husband? Which would be counterintuitive because she sacrificed herself. It was a sacrifice in order to save the lives of her husband. And if I remember correctly, in my said, tough luck, you gotta get divorced. And he says, I'm not saying that she did a sin because in the sense that she wanted to do it, circumstances compelled it. It was a pikuach nefesh situation, right? But Lamaise, was, it was mal or bomal. She committed an act of ill against her husband. In other words, I just want to be clear, the woman was not a karka'olam. Uh, that was not the case. <clears throat> but on the other hand, the circumstances were those they compel her to do it. You can already see why this stuff is always brought up in Purim whenever somebody does a Dvar Torah, depending on what company they're in. <laughs> they do about Queen Esther and Yargwal Yavar, that whole sugit. This Marik is always quoted in, from our today, today's Parsha. It's always quoted as part of that. But to me, the emphasis is on the betrayal. 
that fits very well, very medulic, with the story that first count up all the men of the tribes. And last week we're told how many were in each tribe. And we're even told what brigade and what division were in. Degel Machne, Huda is this place, Vial Yado, Degel Machne, so and so. And we're told the commander in chief. So it's a constant military operation. And the Torah takes the trouble to give you all these facts and figures, which usually they don't. So there was Mamish a major military campaign planned. It didn't happen, but it was planned. And then they say we gotta get the Levim straight. And we want to count all the clans of the Levites and tell where everybody exactly is assigned. And then after uh, something else about the Yeshua and Machana, they said, now let's turn our attention to the women. The women are not drafted in the army. So why are you turning attention to women? But when the husband is away, she may betray him because if she commits anything with anybody, aside from the fact that it's us, sir, aside from the fact that's a terrible sin, but it's a mi'ila, it's a betrayal. In other words, it's, it's, it's what's the right word? It's ethically immoral. You understand? Because he's going, the reason he's not home it's because he's fighting to save the country or in this place to conquer Israel. So he's doing the right thing. And she is taking advantage of that, so to speak. He's using that. And that's disgusting. Mola Baal has a shot of disgusting. You see? Mola Baal has a shot of disgusting. Now, mind you, the whole story of Sota has to be understood if we want to get halachic that nothing is going to happen typically Nothing is going to happen to her. By that I mean, I'm talking about what you read in the parsha. I'm not talking about Sota, where they get into more nitty-gritty details, as is necessary. Uh, but in the parsha, we're talking about But it's not actionable because nobody saw anything. You get it? You can only um, judicially punish. A woman who's a soto is adulterous. As we all know, if they're two Adam and they give us raw and she says, I don't care, which is almost like you're talking. <clears throat> and then they have to see <clears throat> the mice itself, which is extremely low you talking. Beside let's say she's not moral. Why would somebody do that in public anyway? When's that gonna happen? So the chances for an actual judicial conviction and, uh, you know, getting the death penalty, very rare. Almost impossible. But the Parsha, as we all know very famously, deals with her acting in suspicious ways. As it says, the husband does kinostira. He warns her, Altistrian plony, you don't look the way you're hanging out with this and this guy. Because we see from this whole Parsha that the worst thing is the suspicion in the eyes of the husband. The whole point of Sobakul Kula is to remove the suspicion in the eyes of the husband by making this magical and mystical ritual in which by the end of it, either she's going to die in a horrible way or, she'll, or she won't. And there were cases of Sota recorded in the Gemara, there are some. So that itself if she survives it, we'll convince, you know, the basin will then say to the husband, listen, look here, buddy, nothing happened. 
She wouldn't have gone through all this and survived if something happened. Nothing happened. And even though the husband can say, Altistri and Plony, don't be with this guy. And she was. But Lamai said nothing happened. <clears throat> okay? She did not exactly conduct herself in the best way. Nothing happened. Mind you, as anybody knows, with a little bit of knowledge of this subject, if she confesses, she says, I don't want to drink the water, I did it. What happens in that case? Many think like she's high Misa or whatever. It's not true. Confession is not admissible in Jewish law. A married woman who says, I was a Masana with Plony and Plony, you don't get a conviction. The only thing you do is they'll have to get divorced, so she'll move on, and she won't get her ksuva. So she'll move on. You understand? If she's that type of woman, she'll find somebody, huh? She'll move on. I'm just saying. But we don't want to maintain a situation, it seems to me, where the guy's in the field, he's worrying about what's happening back home. Because is she with Plony, or this, or that, and the other. And again, nothing leads as much to that, nothing leads as much to that as booze, or Yain V'Sheikha to be exact. In ancient times, the Jews did not have experience with whiskey and booze. That only happened when they came to Eastern Europe in the 1500s. In the Middle East, all you got is various wines and stuff that come made of wine and various types of beers, Sheikha from the dates and all that stuff. Right? So, nevertheless, they are intoxicating, so they do the trick. Get it? A lady, as I said before, who gets a drunk, a guy who gets drunk, and it doesn't matter what they get drunk on. You know, it could be shoe polish. You get it? That can do the trick to, to loosen one's morals. So it's very interesting, it seems to me, that this would be stuck in the middle of Parshish Noso. And it seems to me to be a very important part of the military operations. It's like taking, you know, um, care of the home front and taking care of the morale on the home front. And we know in Jewish law that the morale is considered an all-important factor because this is lo yimas is kechav. You know, later on, there's a Meshulch Muhammad who says, you know this, I know, I'm telling you what you know. There's a Meshulch Muhammad, a priest who gives a speech for the battle, and he said, anybody who's scared, get out of here. So there are many, you know, words about interpretations. There are in Chazal, but the plain Pashim shot is, anybody who's scared, doesn't feel comfortable going into battle, don't come. We only want people who are ready to endure this stuff. And the halacha is, you look in the Rambam and the Gemara, once you're in, any the slightest sign of cowardice, we kill you. Because tchilas nefilanisa, the beginning of defeat, is causing panic in the ranks. Right? So, you know, once they weed out the chickens, then they say, like, it's okay, now you guys are in, we're in. We are going into Guadalcanal, baby, you know, we're in. And now it's too late to go back, and anybody who wants to, to, to chicken out, they'll kill him on the spot. Uh, they bash his head in. Right? All of which shows you that the Torah acknowledges war is part of life, and morale is one of the key elements in war. Plato very famously said, 
only the dead have seen the end of war. Which means that war is as constant as air. Now, we don't like it, and it's terrible. And when I was a little kid, the starry-eyed idealists, which I completely understand, coming off of World War II, created the United Nations and thought that it's going to be epic, and it'll somehow put an end to the scourge of war, which is a great goal. And bring about some kind of universal government and world peace, which is a wonderful goal. I'm not mocking the goal. Halavai. It is promised in the Messianic era. And all that stuff. But the meaning of declaring that it's the Messianic era is that before the Mashiach comes, forget about it, baby. It's part of human nature. There's going to be a Muhammad. I wish it wasn't. I'm not saying happy. I'm saying sad. I wish it was, was not. And some countries are smart enough, able to maneuver like Switzerland and something, they never get in a war. Good for you. But all I have to do is point to Putin and Ukraine right now. Who the heck would think in this day and age, in the middle of a civilized Europe, they're going to have an old-fashioned war like World War II, where they're blowing up and bombing this kind of, looks like a Hollywood movie. And for what, to conquer the Ukraine? You see that Putin, who's no dummy, just has that HR and sooner or later there's a push for a war. You understand? There's a push for a war. The American people, after World War II, tried their best to stop future wars. But we had the Korean War, we had the Vietnam War, we have the, what else, the Iraq Wars. We've had our share. So America tried real hard that there shouldn't be any more wars in Europe. And everybody thought, from 1945 till this year, there weren't any wars in Europe. Not besides the Balkans. Uh, and now there's a war in Europe. Shmamina, war is, is, is a permanent feature of the human experience. It will come again, it will come again, it will come again. That's why the Torah talks about it. Anything you find in the Parsha is part of the existential human experience that doesn't go away. It's part of how life works. Sadly, again, in a better world, in an idealistic world, we would be able to say, oh, Soto, and 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 la voda that's in the old days, and now we're past that baloney. I'm telling you right now, anything you find in the Chumash pops up again and again, not necessarily all the time, but again, it's going to be again and again. And so the result is that you have the Torah very thoughtfully saying, we're taking care of the front ranks, but we always have to take care of the rear. What happens in there? In the rear. And therefore, smack in the middle of everything, we have the law of the Sota, which brings down the terrible punishments that await. The woman who is Mala Boma, who betrays the husband, is going off to war. Then we have the Yayan Peshechar, which causes it. And by the way, anybody's any experience in the military, and I would tell you something, my sponsor today, the Leventhal's, they were in the military, the medical side, and they were in the Gulf War. I'm talking about Schwarzkopf was there. Uh, both husband and wife were MDs with the military, and they were in the war. They'll tell you, is it drinking? Is this? Is that? All kinds of stuff goes on. as as endemic to a Parsha. It's endemic to the human experience. So isn't it amazing that what looks like something fairly boring, actually, if you see it in its right context, I would argue, comes out to be unbelievably relevant 
Do we have Sota today? You have the phenomenon that I'm talking about. You have the phenomenon that, you know, in times of, of trouble and wars, all the rest of it, it's a great strain on the morality. And the biggest tool of the Yitzhahara is the drinking. You know is the drinking. Anyway, that's what I thought. And uh, once again, I want to thank, as I said before, the Levens also for sponsoring this. I hope I'll see if I have a chance to try to pick up and do all my podcast obligations this week. But as I said before, tonight and tomorrow night I have to do the big lectures. So uh, anyway, without any further ado, I wish you a good week. Okay. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.